Rankium. This week, Publius Analysis. Hello, and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob. And, uh... No episode this week, uh, but I forgot to mention it. Not uh, even to me. <laughs> yeah, not even to you. You have no idea why we're doing this, have you? No idea. I just said introduce a Roman episode. Um, yeah, uh, we do not have a Roman Emperor episode this week, but Aww. we do have a Roman Republic episode. <gasps> yeah, because Ooh. we've not done one for a while, and we're meant to be doing the Punic Wars, so we're going to do another Punic War episode. Nice. Um, but what I thought I'd do is let you, the listener who is not part of our Senate... Kind of see what you're missing slightly. So um, here's a wee sample of a couple of Senate episodes. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, like yeah. A tease. Bit of a tease. And, Rob, how do, how do they people get access to these episodes? It's easy. Go on our our Podbean site and just click on the Become a Senator. Not It doesn't say that. It says a Patreon, Patron. but it should, should say Senator. Uh, yeah, just follow the instructions. And then you can just download... I think it's is it eight nine episodes, yeah. all of them longer than our normal episodes. And uh, yeah, uh, we've got Caesar, Marius, Sulla, the Gracchi brothers, individual episodes. Cleopatra, Mark Antony, and others. <laughs> um, yeah, and and a few others, uh, which is good. Yeah, so we're um, we're doing the Punic Wars at the moment, as I've just said. So we'll be doing one of those. Uh, but in the meantime, here is a wee sample, not a wee sample. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. through a podcast. Yeah. Great. Okay. Julius Caesar. Right. Wanting to improve his skills of oratory even more, he decided to go and learn from an oratory master who was living in Rhodes. However. Ooh. Oh. Are you gonna love this? Oh yeah. Oh you are. On the way, his ship <gasps> was overrun. Yeah. By pirates. Yar. <laughs> yes. It Yar. Was. Yes, Caesar has a pirate adventure. Yes! Yes. Oh, swashbuckling. Yeah. Treasure. Upon realising that they had a patrician family member in their grasp, the pirates rounded up some of Caesar's staff and told them to spread the word that the ransom would be 20 talents of silver. Yeah, he spread ye word. Caesar was outraged. Tally-ho! By Jove! He demanded that the pirates ask for 50 talents of silver. What? (laughs) It would do his reputation no good to be ransomed at such a low price. That's fantastic. <laughs> what balls. Yes. And such, even in that death situation, cutlasses at his throat, a parrot on his head. Yeah. And he's saying, actually, this wouldn't do for my political career. Hang on. Could you up it to 50, please? Yeah. Could you double that and add a bit more for good measure? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go on. You know, it's good for you. Good for me. The pirates took Caesar. Um, and kept him for over a month, waiting for the ransom to come back. They loved him. <laughs> That's brilliant. They thought it was great. Here's this pompous young boy yeah. ordering <laughs> them around and just telling them what to do. Funny japes. Yeah, and they just thought it was hilarious. Quite often he would joke about how when he got out of there, he'd find them again and crucify them all. And the pirates would laugh. And Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Can you see where this story's heading? Yeah. <laughs> I can. At last the, the ransom was paid, and Julius Caesar was freed. Who by? 
his attendants had been set off, had gone to local towns and collected money um, from the local towns, promising that the Juliar family would pay it back. Yeah, see the early sample of charity work. Yes. Nice. Yes, little nice, charity tin, it? little dog. Yes, is that how they collected it? Yeah. <laughs> you... Pay or he'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of walking around lots of Roman towns and there'd just be people in fluorescent jackets with tins. On the <laughs> yeah. tins are the faces of Roman aristocracy. That, <laughs> yeah. that have been <laughs> Spare 5p for Julius Caesar's freedom. <laughs> or a bar of silver. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, sir. I don't mean to trouble you, but... Well, you could just sign up, give me your bank details, and uh, yeah. you could be freeing rich children every <laughs> week. Julius Caesar landed, went to the nearest town with a port, raised yeah. a fleet, and set off immediately after the pirates. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can imagine on their deck just looking at it going, Oh, he's come back again! Oh. Oh. <laughs> they have cannons. <laughs> Wait, cannons? <laughs> they have pointy be, things. <laughs> Yeah, the pirates were in no way expecting this, and they were still where he'd left them. Oh. Pirates weren't used to people that they killed, they kidnapped coming back. Yeah. This was this was new. Yeah. Um, it shows his tenacity, though, doesn't oh, it? Oh, it does. Julius Caesar got all of his money back and the yeah. entire pirate horde. Excellent. He then crucified every last pirate. Oh, dear. You can just tell. It's, it's just there going, told you. <laughs> Told you I had to crucify you. Do, you. do you think he took apart their boats and did it with the wood from the ships oh, as poetic justice? Nice. I'd like to think he did do that. And yes. little tiny crosses for the parrots. Oh, poor parrots. Oh. But they weren't cross-shaped, they were T-shaped. Yes, yes they were. Wound. Good fact. Oh yeah, yes. I know my stuff. Yes you do. He obviously got on with the pirates himself though, because he slit their throats before crucifying them. Well that's them, nice. Which... So you don't have to suffer the agony that is crucifixion. That is actually showing a bit of mercy there. I, not yeah, much. No. Not much. It's a bit, though. But a little bit. It could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> which is probably what he was saying to them yeah. whilst running the blade through their yeah. jokiness. It could be a lot worse. Just uh, come backwards from ten. <laughs> <laughs> I've never pictured Julius Caesar with such a calm voice before. <laughs> Everything he does. It'll be okay. It'll be fine. Sulla. Sulla first decided that Greece needed to be convinced to come back to Rome. <laughs> How best to convince Athens, he thought. Kill lots of people. <laughs> yes, the best way to convince Athens was to go over there with his army and just show them all how, how very angry he was <laughs> at their betrayal. <laughs> Sulla reached Athens and decided to siege the city and its port town. In order to siege properly, he decided to build a wall all around the city cutting down all the forests that he could find to do so, including the sacred groves near oh, Athens. But they're sacred. They are sacred. Not so sacred to the Sulla, though. The siege was going slowly but well, when news reached Sulla that Marius was indeed still alive, and in fact had retaken Rome. Oh, so he left Rome too soon. Mm. This, it was not long after that that the Optimite supporters soon started to arrive at Sulla's camp, seeking refuge from Marius's purging of the city. That's right, Marius is now purging the city due to Sulla's purging the city, due to Marius's purging of the city. Was anyone left? I, you can only assume not many <laughs> by this point. Apparently this third purge was more bloody than the last two combined. It is just okay. getting worse and worse. Sulla, realising that he could not take back Rome and take on Mithridates at the same time, decided, let's take on Mithridates. It's what I've wanted to do all along. 
I'll leave Marius <laughs> back there. I'll just concentrate on the war. Athens sent a delegation out to talk to Sulla and try and win him over. Mm. Sulla was outraged when all they did was moan at him about how great Athens was and how he was ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> These are ancient buildings. <laughs> They're grade one listed. Don't you understand? Sulla. I know. I hope. All these wise old men coming out, like historians and architects. Just... Yeah. <laughs> Bloody Philistine. According to Plutarch, this was Sulla's response. Mm-hmm. So a quote from Sulla here. Be off, my dear sirs, and take these speeches with you. For I was not sent to Athens by the Romans to learn its history, but to subdue its rebels. Ooh. Yeah. Sulla not happy. <laughs> Soon after this came... A report to Sulla about a section of the Athenian wall that was weaker than the rest. Okay. This was an area that Sulla's troops thought they might be able to get into the city. Okay. Sulla himself went to inspect the site and realised this was definitely a way in. Mm. And that very night they attacked, Ooh. broke their way through and sacked the city. <sighs> Athens was torn apart. Oh. As Plutarch said... There was therefore no counting the slain, but their numbers are to this day determined only by the space that was covered with blood. So, big space or small space? <laughs> death count in litres. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How many died? About 30,000 litres. Oh. <laughs> and the war was not going well for the Romans until the hero of the Third Punic War, the famous Scipio Aemilianus, turns up kangaroo in 134 BCE. Now, this isn't the most famous Scipio the kangaroo. This is not Scipio who fights Hannibal. Okay. This is a relative. So Scipio Aemilianus recognised hero arrives. By this time, Marius is leading a group of men. We don't really know how many or the details. We just know he's got a bit of power. We do know that once arriving, Scipio demanded a full inspection of the troops. Oh, I bet they, like, their shoes and their socks into their bed, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, actually, no, that's exactly what he did. Ooh. Yeah, he didn't just want them to line up like usual. He wanted a full inspection. That meant all the men... That meant all the equipment, <laughs> all the horses. Maybe, maybe not Snap. that. Bend over, lads. <laughs> yeah, <the> latex gloves. <laughs> Full inspection time. <laughs> no, I don't think it was quite that bad. Maybe it was. <laughs> Bend over and think of the glory of Rome. <laughs> so, whilst he was conducting this thorough investigation, <laughs> he was very impressed when he spotted a particularly well-kept horse... And a mule that, and I quote, was sleeker and healthier than any of the others. Why would you be impressed by that? Oh, that's good breeding. Yeah, it was just a good horse. These, these horses are well kept. That mule, that mule's looking better than that horse. Yeah, it was sparkling. Yes. <laughs> I mean, horses shouldn't sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> Why has it got a horn? <laughs> My God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> he was very impressed. Who has been looking after these horses? This whole area is, in fact, very impressive. Who's in charge? And it was a man, a young man, named Marius. Oh, and who's he? Yeah, so he's the man we're doing. Now, we don't know if this is actually when they first met. Perhaps they did already know each other. I like to think this is the first time they met, though. And Marius was soon a favourite of Scipio. 
It's easy in press, isn't it? Oh, well, then you can keep a horse clean. Oh, well, there's more. There's more. General of the world. <laughs> because, and I quote, he attracted the notice of his general by excelling the other young men in bravery and by his very cheerful acceptance of the change regimen which Scipio introduced into his army when it was spoiled by luxury and extravagance. In other words, I let's face it, it sounds to me like Marius was a bit of an arse licker. Sounds a bit like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, a brilliant idea. What a wonderful idea. This whole idea of the whole army was spoiled by luxury and extravagance. You <laughs> just know. Everyone else is enjoying themselves. Scipio comes along, bit of a party pooper, and there's Marius. He's that one who's just going, oh, wonderful. Oh, no, I never liked having fun anyway. Yes, I never had a party, by the way, I just like to say. I, I spent the whole evening stroking my horse, not a euphemism. <laughs> I mean, maybe this wasn't the case. Maybe Scipio was just impressed with him. Yeah. Um, his estimation went up in the famous general's eyes even more when at one point during a battle, Marius personally killed an enemy general in front of Scipio, which was a brave deed to do. So risked his own life, you know. Yeah. Again, arse-licking. Yeah. I, I personally think that he was about to kill the general, realised that Scipio wasn't working, and during the battle was just going, Scipio! Scipio! Scipio, look, look. Watch out, sir. There's an enemy in front of you, like 300 metres away. Yeah. (laughs) Then keep waiting. Yeah, that kind of thing. Just really made sure you got noticed. (laughs) Scipio gave Marius several honours and started to invite him to dine with him. One evening, when one of the generals asked Scipio where Rome would find a leader worthy to follow him, i guessing this general was called Butus Lickus. (laughs) Or Lickianus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How could we possibly get a general as good as you, sir? Yeah. Yeah, uh, General Lichianus. Yeah. You, you get the impression Scipio surrounded himself with Lichianuses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Scipio apparently tapped the young Marius on the shoulder at this point and simply said, Here, perhaps. So he's singling out Marius for good things here. Tiberius, so it's a good start for Tiberius and Gaius, sons of consuls, grandsons of the most celebrated war hero in history. However, things are not perfect, because when they're young, their father dies. Obviously. <laughs> because <laughs> Rome is what... Well, have you noticed how it's happened less and less recently in our Empire series? But in the early days, you couldn't move for sons losing their fathers I early on. I why that is. Yeah. Is it because... So I, I hasten to say, like, it's because medical care and diet has got better, because it hasn't, really. Cause <laughs> no. Me- medicine's been the same since the Greeks, pretty much the Middle Ages, just yeah. crap. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe, maybe we've got a skewed view on it. Possibly. Maybe if you actually look at the statistics, it's not that different, but it does seem mm. to have changed. But we're That's back true. in the olden days again in this episode, where their father dies young. Of course. Yes. One day, however... This is when the father was alive. There's a nice little story about him I've included here. He caught two snakes on his couch. Like you do. (laughs) I did that the other day. He didn't say what the snakes were doing. Just the way he caught them. What are you two doing? (laughs) (laughs) Put it away. (laughs) Now, apparently he immediately went out and sought someone who could read this obvious sign from the gods. Just imagine, right, if you're in your house and... You swatted two flies, then caught the two fly corpses, took them to a palm reader and said... Mystic Meg. Mystic Meg. Yeah. What do these flies mean? What's the symbolism behind these two flies that I caught in my house? They'd probably tell you if it's some weird 
kind of person in a tent predicting the future. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so two scientists then. Well, which is the equivalent of the day, I guess. <laughs> Maybe it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I see how these stories pain you, but I'm ploughing on. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's going to be fun. I do enjoy them, though, to be fair. Yeah, it's I know like you do. Deep down, you love them. <laughs> yeah, I do. You love the omens. I do. <laughs> Don't touch the non-paying people. <laughs> Yeah, you, you only get this if you're a senator. Jamie secretly loves the islands. I love it. <laughs> so, he goes out and he finds a divinator. Oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they come along, and it does not take long before they tell him what this means. Don't they find water, divinator? They're the ones with the sticks. Divination, as in predicting the future. Divine. Uh... What's the one with the water? No, I'm wrong. Cut that out. No, 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 no you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, but the water thing's staying in. What is the water one? Oh, I was wrong. I apologise. And I get that from Harry Potter. <laughs> yes, good old Harry Potter. Finding water, water. with sticks. Oh, no, not divination. That's water dousing. Sorry. Yes, I'll cut out the uh, quick Google. There. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but who knows? Maybe you got one of those as well. Okay. A guy with a pair of sticks turned up. <laughs> Some right angle branches. Yeah. What do those two snakes mean? I've got no idea, but. Got a bit of water in them, though. Yeah. <laughs> Open them up, get half a pint out of those. <laughs> so, it said to him that he should not kill the snakes, which would have been my immediate reaction. I'm surprised they're still alive. I'm surprised they're still on the couch. Anyway. <laughs> they keep hissing at me. <laughs> Yes. He he was to kill one snake, apparently, and let the other go. That's what he should oh, do. Which one would you choose? Like Sophie's choice. Oh, it gets worse. Oh. Because if he kills the male snake, it meant he would soon die. But if he killed the female, his wife Cornelia would die. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That is. How do you know whether a snake's male or female? I'm guessing if you, like, you're into snakes or you're a vet, you know... But does your average person on the street know? If someone told me that, I'd be going, which snake do I kill? I, I get the impression that you'd wait for one snake to roll over. And yeah. if it starts with, like, two snakes, <laughs> that's the male. The one with fair sliding along, one's got a bit of a bump. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> a bulge, if you will. The one that wears wife. Anyway, according to Plutarch, the father figured he, he's getting on in years. It's yeah. a typical Roman wedding, marriage where he's a lot older than she is. He's 97. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's only fair that he died, so he kills the male snake. Oh, how how um, yeah. sacrificial. Yeah, either that or he killed what he thought was the female snake. I'm like, oh, hang on, which, which one was that again? Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Obviously, not long after, he dies. Then at the age of 28, he becomes Quiesta, just like his brother did. He joins the Senate at this point, if he hadn't already, because that's one of the roles. He's on the Greasy Honorum. He's he's on his way. Now, his brother was sent to Spain. He is sent to Sardinia. Not much going on in Sardinia. Nope, just a lot of sardine catching. Yeah. He goes with the proconsul, Orestes. Orestes has just finished his uh, consulship, so now he's off to a province to go and make some money. Nice. Rule the province, and then he gets to go home. Oh, that's what proconsul stands for. Province consul, I guess. I have never even considered that. Me neither. 
Possibly. Provincial console, just like you, your console. Well, it? if you're a pro praetor, you are an ex praetor. I've always just seen it as an ex something. Or pro, but pro is normally a professional. <laughs> you know what? Let's say yes, definitely. And our listeners who know Latin will just be sighing inwardly. But we are <laughs> going to say yes, that's what it means. Why would they be sighing? Listening to our rounds, they know we can speak fluent Latin. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> Orestes is sent to Sardinia. And he takes Gaius Gracchus with him as his quaestor. Now, this pleases the Optimite faction. Remember, they're plotting Gaius's downfall. Now, this so get gets him out of the way. Yeah, it gets him <laughs> out of the way. It's, he's out of Rome, where his growing popularity can't grow any further. Gaius himself is more than happy to go as well. He quite likes this idea. He's keen to test out his fighting skills. He's been training for ages. <laughs> Let's hone these killing abilities. Yeah. Where am I off to? Sardinia? Any um, barbarians in Sardinia? Quite a few fish. How how angry are the sardines? I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to see any action at all. <laughs> yeah, but not only did he want to test out his fighting skills, apparently he was finding Rome quite overbearing at this point. Mm. Apparently more and more people were coming to him for help and encouraging him <laughs> to follow in his brother's footsteps. More and more people are seeing him as Tiberius Gracchus's successor, and he's finding this a little bit too much. Like Tiberius Gracchus too, yeah, rather than Gaius Gracchus. Yeah, exactly. So he thinks maybe a bit of time away, sort my head out. Do I really want to become my brother? Do I want to be my own man? I'm just going to leave Rome for a bit, clear my head. Yeah. Plutarch says, After reaching Sardinia, then, Gaius gave proof of every excellence, and far surpassed all the other young men in conflicts with the enemy. As in fishing on a Sunday. <laughs> in just dealing with the subjects, and in goodwill and respect which he showed towards his commander, while in self-restraint, frugality, and industry, he excelled even his elders. Glowing report. Yeah, that's pretty good. A star. Yeah. So things are going well, but soon enough, as Eddard Stark said, winter arrived. Did he say that? No, he said it was coming. It's what he wanted to say, though. <laughs> Do you have a chance? Went as a... He got well dead in a series one. See, I've seen that. I know what you're on about, Rob. How much have you have you seen? Series two, I've told you. <laughs> yeah, but that was like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to binge watch it, but yeah. oh, it's getting hold of the TV. Right, okay. That's a problem. <laughs> Did you lose your TV privileges? <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a shame. Is that because your wife is angry you spend all your evenings up here with me? Yeah, I have something to do with Yeah. <laughs> you understand me more than she does, Rob. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, anyway, yeah, winter, winter's here. That's what I'm trying to say. Winter has arrived, and it's an unusually cold one. Ooh. Yes. The soldiers <laughs> on the island start to suffer. Are they, like, defending the wall? Yeah. A wall. <laughs> Not the wall. <laughs> it stops the splash back from the sardines. Yeah. <laughs> Orestes orders that the citizens of Sardinia were to share their clothing with the soldiers stationed there. Oh, I wouldn't like that. Well, no, nor did they. Imagine, imagine trying to fit into a jumper with a soldier. Go on, come on, push up. <laughs> I'm getting in. <laughs> Is this really necessary? Yes, you hold the shield, I'll hold the sword. <laughs> it's like a pantomime horse. <laughs> I know it seems silly, but it's consoles orders. Sorry. 
Do what I'm told. It's Egyptian wool. <laughs> Stretching it. They're not happy about this. They send word to Rome complaining about Orestes, pointing out that they just didn't have extra clothing. The, uh, the proconsul's telling us to give us our extra clothing. We don't have any. We're poor. We're on Sardinia. <laughs> Do you really think we're all swimming in wealth over here? Nope, we're swimming in sardines. Exactly. The Senate discuss this petition, and they decide with the islanders. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. So orders are sent to Orestes... Sorry, you're going to have to make do. Ooh. Make yourselves warm. <laughs> so he's like, right, I have to go now. So like, I'm just getting used to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Winter drags on. The men start to suffer more and more. There's a real danger that people are going to die. This is roughly the time that the news that Scipio Emilianus is dead comes through to them. Ooh. Which is shocking news, but certainly didn't warm anyone up. <laughs> They should burn the letters. Ah, yeah, they should have. Gaius, at this point, either volunteers or is chosen to go around the island. In the last bit attempt to try and persuade the communities to share what little they had. <laughs> and apparently, within no time at all, Gaius rocks up to the camp with an arm full of cloves. Ah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. With, it, with a halo behind him, yeah. with a halo of light. <laughs> Gaius achieved in no time at all what the proconsul of Rome couldn't. That's, that's power... Yeah. Trading places. And it's not no, just no. like cheap tatty stuff either. It's really good quality jumpers. Really nice thick really ones. Thick knit. Yeah. Nice. Christmas patterns on them. Oh. Yeah. Or <laughs> sat around later that evening with just really gaudy woolen jumpers. <laughs> Guys, is great, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Big mittens. Yeah. <laughs> Can't hold my sword, but they're so warm. <laughs> so warm. Marcus Drusus. So we now lead on to the Battle of Arusio, which we have actually covered, but I won't tell you when and see if you start recognising it. You're looking worried. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll see if anything rings about. Caesar's episode. I'm not saying anything. Right, Marcus Drusus is about 25 at this point. Okay. Caesar, by the way, hasn't been born. He's going to be born in five years' time, so no, not his episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've seen some speculation that Drusus takes part in this battle somehow, but there is literally no evidence whatsoever to support it. It's more likely that he stays at home and starts to look at how he can start climbing the Grisianorum. Yeah. However, it is his bestest, bestest friend's father who's going up north leading the troops. So his best friend, Capio the Younger, could well have gone. And if he's going, there's a chance Drusus went. Maybe a bit of military experience, why not? Uncle Capio's going, I might as well go along. But that is pure speculation. We have no evidence, I should probably stress. But it makes this episode more interesting. Sure, so, yeah. yeah, use that. So, the Cimbri, or the Kimbri, depending on how you pronounce that, and the Helibeti, yeah. and we've come across both of those before, yes, were migrating that. and heading towards Italy, stripping the land of everything they passed. To begin with, Capio the Elder sets off with his own troops, and they start well. They take the rebelling town of Toulouse nice and easily. Mm. Then Capio the Elder decided to wait and see where, where the masses of barbarians are going to go. Are they heading to Italy? Are they going to go to Spain? If they go to Spain, we don't need to worry too much. If they're heading to Italy, oh dear, there's a lot of them. I don't have enough men. Oh, sir, we're looking out on the battlefield. We, we can't see any soldiers. However, there's a big... Seems to be a forest walking <laughs> towards the right there. They could... Which way is Spain again? Left. Oh. Ah. <laughs> Damn. Yes, there was a problem. They soon figured that the Cimbri definitely were heading towards Italy. Oh dear. So they had to do something. 
Fortunately, Maximus by this point is now nearby with his troops. Together, they probably have enough troops to defeat the yeah. barbarians. Good. But Maximus did not count on Capio's prejudice. Oh, you can't be stupid in this kind of situation. <laughs> Are you not recognising this yet? We've, I've put more detail in this, but I have gone over this briefly before. Yeah. Now, Maximus, like I said, is the consul for the year. So he outranks Capio. Yeah. He's in charge. Hmm. But he is a new man. So Capio looks down on him and refuses to fight under such a man. Oh, yes. Therefore, when Maximus made camp and sent for Capio to join him, after all, he's the consul, yeah. Capio refuses and stays on his side of the river. There's a river between them. They're not just apart, there's a river between them. Uh, yeah. Why? That was probably Maximus's response. What? Why? Because Capio looks down on this popular eye. Remember, he's Optimite. This is a, a living representation of the two factions and how much division there is between them. But you can still work with somebody, like you and I. You can still work with somebody and look down on them. That's true. And it's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Anyway, Maximus refuses to let this slow things down. <laughs> he sends a cavalry detachment towards the Cimbrian camp, hoping to slow them down enough that he can sort things out. Mm. The man who led this advanced group was a man named Scarus. Ooh, good name. We don't know the numbers, but it would have been pitiful compared to the might of the Cimbrians. Oh dear. Yeah, this, is a, this isn't the Roman army. This is a small group of horsemen. Who, Twelve, Twelve people. Yeah, <laughs> Scarus and his mates on horseback. Okay. Jeff is probably in there with them. <laughs> Hello. They ride off towards the Cimbri. They stop, they put up a camp, what little camp they have, when tens of thousands of barbarians come crashing through the trees. Oh dear. <laughs> they said. Tens of thousands. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then the arrow hits. <laughs> oh. Fling. Yeah, they were just rolled over. Scarus is captured rather than killed. Oh, really? According to one source, he's taken to the Cimbrian king and given chance to speak. Scarus replied that the barbarians should turn back or face the might of Rome. <laughs> The king was not impressed by this. <laughs> so places Scarus over a low fire and oh. slowly roasted him to death. Oh, no. Apparently Scarus did not let out a single cry. Oh. Which is obviously all propaganda, but it's oh, a definitely. story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he was crying like a little baby all the way through that. <laughs> yes, That's was. horrible. It doesn't say how. Well, it says in a wicker cage. Surely the wicker would, like... Catch fire. Yeah. Unless you moistened the cage, then you get, like, steam. And Maybe. But even then, eventually it would go up. Maybe it's just tied to a spit and rotated. Oh. <laughs> Nasty, isn't oh, it? Oh, it really is. Yeah. Not good. But you'll be pleased to know his death was not wasted. Oh, good. I'm sure, as he was rotating over the hot coals, <laughs> he was thinking, well, hopefully, at least this has given Maximus and Capio the Elder enough time to sort out their differences. <laughs> and then he called out, I'm done on this side. <laughs> the ten minutes on the other. Oh, maybe that's what they meant by he didn't shout out. and. Oh, we did, yeah. Yeah, he was not just silent. He was actually making light of the situation. And oh, yeah. that would so annoy you, wouldn't it? <laughs> it really would. Yeah. 
Oh, could be a bit hotter, couldn't you? In fact, if you use it brown wood rather than the green wood, <laughs> much more efficient fire here. I put it in a conical shape rather yeah. than just laying it out flat. And seriously, get get the knife. Look, look, look. If you start like cutting crosses into my arm and put some salt in it, crackling. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the barbarian's looking horrified. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the pepper. Easy. <laughs> Come on, guys, eat it properly. <laughs> I'm tasty. Look, look. Chug oh. <laughs> out his own arm. You'd turn back. You <laughs> <laughs> would. Get him off. He's <laughs> freaking me out. Yeah. <laughs> he probably didn't go that far, but apparently he did unnerve the Simbri with his toughness. <laughs> However, Cleopatra was not a woman to be cowed easily. She starts making arrangements to go to Tarsus, but she does not rush at all. She slowly builds up some plans. Mark Antony sends several summons. Are you coming or what? <laughs> I'm waiting. I've got your sister here, by the way. Are you coming? She was determined to make an entrance, and to make the entrance that she wanted required time. Eventually she was ready, and when she reached Tarsus, she did indeed make an entrance. One that was so spectacular that no Roman would ever doubt her right to rule. She had built a massive luxury pleasure raft. Pleasure raft? Yeah. Big floating raft of pleasure. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? It does. Yes. And she sailed this right into the city on the river. It had purple sails, silver-tipped oars. Musicians lined the raft as they entered the city playing lovely tunes. The, the most popular tunes of the day, I'm guessing. Mm. The equivalent of Beyonce or something. Oh, yeah. And um, what was her name? Adele. Yes, she's popular, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What would... Something quite light-hearted. You wouldn't want to be too serious. I mean, you wouldn't want to be doing Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> I don't know. That would be quite impressive, though, wouldn't it? That'd be amazing. Yeah. Anyway, musicians playing, lining the raft. Also, the raft was burning huge quantities of incense. Enough so the smell would be able to waft right to the banks, so everyone could smell nice. the pleasure raft coming. <laughs> What's that smell? It's the pleasure raft. <laughs> I hear it has three speed settings. <laughs> In the middle of all this was Cleopatra, dressed like Aphrodite, reclining and being fanned by slave boys who had been picked for their good looks. Nice. Equally, she had chosen the most beautiful female slaves she had to line the raft and generally just look good whilst the music played. Awesome. Yeah. Some described it as vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> bit over the top. <laughs> bit much. But this show had an intended audience of one. And that was obviously to impress Mark Antony. And it did so. Mark Antony was a man of simple tastes. <laughs> <laughs> Likes porridge. All he wanted was someone dressed like a goddess coming down the river towards him. <laughs> On a ridiculously expensive pleasure raft. And he was happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it too much for us for? Yeah. He sent an invitation to Cleopatra to join him for dinner. She refused and told him to join her on the Pleasure Raft 2000. <laughs> <laughs> it's painted on the side. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Mark Anthony, far from annoyed from this, was more than happy to go aboard. He wanted to go and check out what this thing was. <laughs> it looked brilliant. <laughs> Excuse me, I believe it has... Three? <laughs> In Rome, we only used a one. <laughs> Three speeds. Row, row faster. Row even faster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that go faster, strapped down the middle. <laughs> also, I had a pulse setting. 
Fast, fast, slow. Fast, fast, slow. <laughs> so this is where Mark Antony and Cleopatra meet. Cleopatra's 28 at this point, and according to the sources, very charming, very witty, very intelligent. The kind of woman who would impress someone like Mark Antony instantly. Cleopatra spends her time charming Mark Antony and explaining to him why she was so much a better choice than her sister. Now, this was not just her attempting to spin a tale, because it actually was true, if you think about it. Cleopatra was already in charge. She had an heir in place, Julius Caesar's son nonetheless, so loyalty to Rome was unquestionable. And then there was Arsinoe, who was... In a box. (laughs) In a a box somewhere. (laughs) Yes. Mark Antony soon realised that there was no reason not to support Cleopatra. The two then got to know each other. Marcus Antonius! Well, all this wonderful stuff is going on when word reaches Antony. There were some Parthian soldiers hanging around, like the outskirts of their camp, saying the king wanted a truce. This this is brilliant, thinks Antony. Wonderful. Yeah, because things are looking a bit dicey. So Antony sends an envoy. (laughs) So this isn't a trick. (laughs) The Parthians assured Antony that if he left right now, they'd just let him go. It's like, you've learnt your lesson. Don't mess with us. Yeah. We're the Parthians. Yeah. Just leave. Antony has very little choice. He agrees. If he could just get back to Armenia, he could regroup. However, Antony didn't trust the Parthians completely... And when a local guide gave him advice to cut through the hills because the Parthians wouldn't expect it, Antony was very tempted to do so. The guide, to prove that he wasn't tricking them, offered to be treated like a prisoner until they made it out of Parthia to prove his loyalty. Antony ties him up and throws him in with the prisoners. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) None of this, no, that won't be necessary. It's like, oh, okay then. (laughs) (laughs) That was only a joke. (laughs) So, with the man tied up, they set off. (laughs) However, the guide was either lying or the Parthians anticipated the move because they soon came across a dam in the river that had caused the pathways to flood, severely slowing down their progress. Realising something's up here, Antony ordered that everyone get battle ready. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel there might be a problem here. Hang on, this looks suspicious. (laughs) Yeah, so orders to get battle ready are given and sure enough the Parthians were soon upon them. Both sides took casualties in the skirmishes that followed, but they were fought off eventually. Antony was forced to make camp, and he and his generals quickly put together a new marching formation that would make defence a bit easier. Word went round that any counterattack must be limited. Do not leave the main army. You will be overwhelmed. You will be picked off. I know some of you attempted to run off into the desert after them, but don't. Whatever you do, do not do that. Yeah. Very important that you do not do that. Do you, Jeff? Look, no, Jeff. Look at no. Look at me. Oh, he's he's gone. He's in the desert already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was it was like that essentially. Progress was painfully slow for the next four days. They were attacked again and again. The Parthians nibbling at their rear. Oh yes, unpleasant times. Both sides took damage. One officer, frustrated, asked permission to form a special skirmish unit, which probably had a cool name. Operation Commando. Yeah. And there are a few sniggers and... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anthony agreed. He was was a sucker for for 
units with good names. It's not a good name, though. No, but he, he thought it sounded right. cool. Yeah. Operation Commando? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> However, Operation Commando soon found itself in trouble. <laughs> Caught short. <laughs> yes, you could say that. <laughs> they were distracted by the feeling of the breeze. <laughs> Orders for reinforcements were given. The... Uh, Troops in the skirmish unit were quickly overwhelmed. Antony, seeing this, sends reinforcements. But the reinforcements arrived in dribs and drabs, making them completely inefficient. Mm. In the end, Antony himself led a force and managed to free Operation Commando. However, the officer in charge, who had come up with this, mm. uh, was struggling a bit because he had <laughs> four arrows in his chest. <laughs> Yeah. He, that's going to slow you down. He died later that day. Oh. Yeah. That's... Ooh. Yeah. So they carry on painfully, constantly fighting off the Parthians. Antony trying to rotate the troops so those at the rear wouldn't constantly be fighting. Trying to use his horse to try and beat back the Parthian skirmishes. But it's just very hard work. Oh, yeah. And as you can imagine, everyone a bit miserable. <laughs> At night, they would camp, and Antony would tour the camp, visiting the wounded, trying to regain some morale. And he remained very popular, despite the fact that things weren't going well. Yeah. In fact, according to the sources, the men felt so ashamed that they'd let him down, some even begged to be decimated. Wow. Yeah. They felt that it was their fault. Antony was the glorious general. The only reason why they were failing was because they were useless. They needed to be... Punished. Such a different time, isn't it? Yeah. Even that was just one person who was really into that kind of thing. Being very loud and everyone else was going, oh God, make him shut up, make, make him shut up, up, make him shut up. No, 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 put your trousers back. We're not spanking you. No. <laughs> but despite the fact they were um, ashamed and they wanted to be punished, <laughs> this doesn't mean they're having fun. Um, Dio oh, wow. claims that the only reason many didn't desert was because the Parthians were not taking prisoners. They were shooting deserters on sight. The Parthians <laughs> couldn't feed prisoners, so they were just killing them. With morale just in the gutter, Antony delivered a speech ah. that raised his troops' spirits, and the next day they marched once more. Apparently, the Parthians were quite impressed how disciplined the Romans were. They're still going. The Parthians are, you know, are impressed. Though we do get this from a Roman account, so maybe that's just lies. Yeah, they're probably just annoyed. Oh, for goodness sake. They're still going. Stop. Just stop. Later this day, when attacked, the Romans started using the Testado formation. The Turtle formation. Oh, so it's yeah. Operation, uh, Operation Commando back in force. Well, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, the, the famous turtle manoeuvre where they put their shields over the top of the them. head and in yeah. front. Yeah. I got my class to do that. Oh, yeah. With, yeah. You know, it was good. We still hit them with water bombs, though. So, it was... uh, yeah. Did it work? No. It was, got through, they, they were just bad at or They were just unorganised. So. Oh, <laughs> my image of this perfect rectangular shape. No, it wasn't <laughs> like that? No. It's... No. Well, the, the Romans back in these days were quite good at it, apparently. It... Well, they probably had wooden shields that were the right shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it confused the Parthians. The Parthians had never seen this before and thought that the Romans were giving up because some at the front were kneeling down. So they charged and then went, oh, God, they're not giving up. They're not moving. Because <laughs> the Romans then stood up again and started fighting. Yeah. <laughs> again, it's both sides, huge casualties. Yeah. And then the food runs out, which isn't great. Men were forced to forage for vegetables whilst they marched, whilst being attacked. 
you got you like you chilled up in the air, especially from bows and arrows. You you rummaging around for carrots. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice doing. That's a nice one. You're chafing as you walk because you're being forced to march all the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a massive blister on your foot. Yeah. Your arm was hacked off yesterday in the fighting. But you got a nice breeze. Yeah, yeah. Holding everything down. Operation Commando is still well. <laughs> well, they were struggling to find food. One herb in particular they soon learned to avoid. According to Plutarch, <laughs> anyone who ate it became fixated on the simple task of moving and overturning every single stone they saw as if they were achieving something of great importance. Whatever this herb was. <laughs> Sounds fun. Sounds quite fun. You just... Sounds like being on Ritalin. <laughs> yeah, the, the, not entirely sure what it was, but it was some kind of mind-altering drug that some of them realised, we shouldn't be doing this right now. Yeah, don't need that, don't need that. <laughs> what you want to do in your own home, that's absolutely fine, but there's a time and place for, for recreational drugs, and whilst being attacked by the Parthians, it's not <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, can't be that relaxed. <laughs> just got this image of lots of soldiers just sitting down. Just really, really staring at that stone in front of them. Whilst the Parthians are just looking at them. They ate those herbs, didn't they? Yep. Should we kill them? Nah, leave him be. <laughs> He's not doing any harm. He won't for next year. Yeah, so uh, they lost quite a few men to that. Yeah, well, the rich of Rome didn't just sit around all day doing nothing. The very first thing they'd do when they woke up was open their houses to their clients. Clients could be anyone from any walk of life, usually men socially inferior, but sometimes of the same class. So, for example, pretend you are... What What are you? You work in Rome, what do you do? Oh, baker. You're a baker. And you realise you need a loan. Or a loaf. No, you've a loan loaves. for a loaf. A loan for a loaf. Yeah, you're either doing really well and you want to expand, or um, Big Steve's after that money. Big and, Steve. Right, okay, so yeah. Big Steve's after that money and you need yeah. to pay him back, so... Yeah. You, you need a loan, and you need it quickly. Yes. You've been paying him off in muffins, but the muffins are no longer working. No, I don't make bad muffins. That's a shame. But you've done some work for Pompey before. Yes. Yes. I catered for one of his weddings. Yes, yeah, so you became his client. Yeah. So what you do in the morning is you go to Pompey's house, you queue up with all his other clients, eventually you're let in, you see the great man himself, and you say, Pompey, Big Steve's after me, can I have some money, please? <laughs> Because he is your patron, he is morally obliged to help you out, within reason. I mean, you can yeah, yeah. take the mickey. If this is the third time this month that you've gone in to talk about Big Steve, ah. you'd probably be saying no. But this is a first offence, so he's probably going to help you out here. Second. Carry on. A second. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm really bad with money. Equally, maybe you need some legal support. I need that as well. Yeah. Rough divorce. Yes. Yeah. Or linked to Big Steve. It's, yeah, well, I've had to sell my, ba my bakery. So. Yeah, so there you go. Well, Pompey knows lawyers. So here, provide okay. some lawyers for you. So why, why are they doing this? Is it just to be nice or is it because they know I'll keep giving them stuff? <laughs> well, yes, so, partly. In return, patrons would get various things because they're, they're not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. So, for example, if they had a shoemaker as a client, that means that they're always going to have good shoes. Yeah. Yeah. They have someone who's going to keep turning up with gifts, basically, of yeah. good shoes. However, that that was nice, but that wasn't the most important thing, because in these times, the amount of clients you had was seen as a status symbol. The more clients, the better you were, basically. 
The rich would often be found with large groups of clients literally following them around Rome, just as a just to show off. So if they were needed in the Senate House, you wouldn't go to the Senate House on your own. That would be embarrassing. You'd walk to the Senate House with a group of 30 clients. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Exactly. Yeah. And then you'd get to the Senate House, you'd walk in, and they'd all stand around outside for a bit. Then you'd come out, and they'd gather around you again and walk you home. That's really weird. Yeah, but... <laughs> I, it, it, it's the equivalent of having a flash car nowadays, I suppose. Or a posse. Yeah, it's a posse. You've got your gang. Posse. They all wore matching leather jackets. It was... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I saw one to Big Steve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, sold. You are. Yeah. <laughs> you just took it. You did. Yeah. So that, that was the main reason why patrons would want clients. Uh, there were other perks, however. So for the client, here's something you get. You get general protection, legal or physical... No one's going to mess with a patron of Pompey, for example. Oh, and brilliant. you've got someone to fall back on on hard times. Good. Yeah. Of course, if Big Steve is also a client of Pompey, then you're in trouble. I need to check that. Yeah. Or if he's, say, the client of someone who's even more important, let's say Caesar, then maybe you're in trouble. See, I know that's for sure. Oh, dear. Oh. <laughs> but you can have more than one patron. That's fine. That's true. Yeah. But no one's bigger than Caesar. No, no, so you're not going to be able to do well there. Huh. Anyway, patrons, they got more benefits. Clients were forbidden to sue you. So you're not allowed to sue Pompey, I'm afraid. That's all right, I'm just thankful he's giving me cash. Well, exactly. I mean, most of them didn't. But as you can imagine, this opened up avenues for more dubious practices. If Pompey needed something done, shall we say, in the bakery world, that's a bit on the down low. Yeah. Like he wants his special bread. Yeah then, well, he knows just the baker to go to. Because yeah. not only are you a client and morally you wouldn't do anything, of course you want to help. He's your patron. Yeah. But you're actually not allowed to sue him. That's okay. I'll, well, I'll give him the special bread. You'll give him the special bread. It's fine. Phallic bread. <laughs> also, if Pompey's kidnapped, you're expected to do a whip around and collect money for him. What? Yeah. I have a baking sale, I guess. But... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously... The more clients you had, the easier it would be for them to do a bit of a whip round. True, yeah, yeah true. so clients are there to, to help you out as a patron in case you get kidnapped. Also, if you die, and obviously you have no heirs, because Big Steve saw to that. <laughs> then... cut them both off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that means uh, your bakery and all your belongings go to Pompey on your death, because you have oh. no heirs. And then he can, I don't know, give them to another client or something as oh. as a favour. So, yeah, it's all about scratching backs, basically. That's good, though. It kind of makes things work. You can see how to make everything work if everybody's doing that. Yeah, exactly. Things, things just ticked along yeah. using this system quite nicely. So the likes of Cicero, for example, at his height, would literally spend all morning, every morning, meeting with his clients. They'd queue up and he'd just meet with them one-on-one one after another, and just see what they wanted that day. Sometimes it would just be to make sure they remember who they are. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they needed something. So, but yeah, so there you go. That's, that's the patron system that the Romans used at this time, and it was essential to life. It's how, how things worked. And of course, clients did not have to be bakers. No. They could also be gang leaders and mercenaries. Ooh, okay. And Clodius had a lot of gang leaders as his clients. And these men 
were now Fulvia's clients. Clodius! We're getting into the nitty-gritty of Roman politics. That'd be, that'd be interesting. So he's going to be a good one to do. One of our listeners, ages ago, uh, described him as the Roman Forrest Gump. Brilliant! Yeah, he kind of pops up in everyone else's stories. Uh, That's fantastic! Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting just to focus on him. And as you'll go through, you'll see that all the big names pop yeah. up in his story. Wow, that's quite cool. Yeah, okay, so... My mama always said... Well, we'll get into his accent soon, because that does come up. Yes, we will. It's possibly that accent. But we're not starting with Clodius. We're starting right in the midst of the start of the Republic. Oh, yes. In the semi-mythical times. Oh, interesting. Oh, yes. King time. Well, the last of the kings, Tarquin Superbus, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Superbus. I remember that. Superbus. Possibly Superbus, but definitely Superbus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Triple-decker. Oh, yes. Well, he'd just been deposed. It was just impractical. Um, (laughs) Yeah, a man named Attius Clausus had just come to Rome. Right. Clausus was the leader of the Sabines, or one of the leaders of the Sabines, and had just defected to Rome. <gasps> oh, yeah. Turncoat. Well, once in Rome, his prestige ensured that he was enrolled into the Senate almost immediately. So, wait, so they're getting our enemies, our dire enemies. Yes, please be a member of our political elite and learn all of our secrets and military... But remember, this is back in time where Rome truly was a city-state. I mean, yeah. that's all it is. So when a fancy-pants person comes from somewhere else with lots of power and prestige, then, yeah, he could probably work his way into the, the elites of Rome quite quickly. I guess he's bringing money as well. He might bring in people. Yes, certainly. And also, he wasn't insensible to the fact that he uh, needed to make sure he fit in a little bit more. And Clausus sounded far too... Well, Germanic, really. <laughs> Probably not, though. Um, but it didn't sound Roman, that's that's my point. So he decided to change his name to Claudius. 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 And so the Claudii family begins. Any relation at all to Rocky's owner? Oh, yes, definitely. Yes. Really? This is the Claudii family that the Emperor <gasps> Claudius comes from. Yes. Um, <sighs> Did he bring a rock with him? Or that originally, that's what Is this the original from. rock? Yes, I think so. But much bigger, because less chipped away. Yes. <laughs> Needed a cart to transport them into, into <laughs> a Rome. boulder. Yeah. So there you go. That, that is a selection of clips, or one clip, uh, depending mm. on how much time I have to edit something together, uh, of what you're missing. Um, so yeah, just imagine hearing that, but like with lots of stuff that's no, going sure. on. That's, that's quite, quite, quite yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sign up. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. And uh, next Roman Emperor episode. Oh, it's exciting with the new source. Leo, isn't it? It's it's Leo and then Michael too, with the Leo, Michael and uh, Thomas triangle. But nice. we're, we're starting to get some nice little details that we've not had for ages. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'm looking forward to these episodes. Yeah, brilliant. Right, so until then, goodbye. Goodbye. There's nothing here. No. We're, we're not doing a skit for this. Um, you, you could sing your song. Which one? Yeah, that song. Oh, yeah, yeah. About okay. the thing. <clears throat> Thank you.
was Roman consul, she was queen of Egypt. Can I make it any more obvious? He was a soldier, she was royalty.